Today, we're talking to Kamran, commerce strategist at PFS, about the latest developments in the commerce industry. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. Now, you guys are in e-commerce. Tell me about what you do, because right now it's the holiday season. That's right. And we just had Black Friday, Cyber Monday. I learned before this call, it was called Peak Week, which... I'm just, I don't know how I feel about that yet, but we'll see how I feel by the end of the <laughs> the call. That's a new term for me, though. Okay. Uh, but yeah, what's what's going on in there in commerce? Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, you're familiar with holiday shopping. Like it, when we were younger, you're we're probably similar in age or maybe uh, a little bit off, but it was Black Friday shopping. You'd go to the mall, you go to the department store. There was a deal. You want a new TV? That's what you're going to do. Well, with the, with the propagation of online business, e-commerce, marketers took the playbook and applied it the same way. So instead of having the biggest shopping day be the day after Thanksgiving on Friday, they called it Cyber Monday. And what would happen over the past, call it decade and a half, is more and more promotions and deals and opportunities started coming up and shopping to where the activity that's occurring inside of you know, warehouses, logistics centers, the entire supply chain, as well as what's happening in digital infrastructure, by the way, like how many visitors do you have on a site? How many checkouts are you going to do per second? Started to aggregate into a very short period. So it literally is the season kicks off and Thanksgiving's happening and Friday demand shoots through the roof. Monday demand shoots through the roof. And through that whole week, you have this hurricane of activity happening all over retail. Um, it's happening in the stores, it's happening online. And the impact to global supply chains is massive because now you're talking about, you know, a world where you might be shipping hundreds of orders a day or thousands of orders a day, turns into tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of orders a day uh, in a very condensed time frame. So they call it peak week because 90% of the time you're running status quo with some seasonal pickups. And then this time of year happens, you spent the whole year planning for it. So our business at PFS, now part of GXO, uh, is specifically and mostly in the direct consumer space. So we spend our entire year planning for these two weeks of the year to make sure we have enough inventory, enough people, the technology is resilient, the staffing's in play, and that we can go execute in a seamless fashion for our customers. And so you've been there like 20 plus years. What is your role like when you started and what is it today? Yeah, absolutely. So this was my first job, I think, not working for my dad and his his company. So we come from a family business of jewelers, wholesalers, importers. So it was growing up on a, you know, a showroom floor. My first job was actually in IT. I was working the help desk on the weekends for a company called PFS. At the time we were called PFS Web. So dot-com era type of name. Uh, and my job was literally to do tech support calls Saturday and Sunday when I wasn't, you know, at school. And I was unlocking user passwords. I was running network cable across the data center, doing backup data recovery. Fast forward, I graduated uh, school. I got a job at the company as an account manager. So being the client-facing, business-facing part of the company that worked with our uh, our clients. So I spent 15 plus years doing that. So spending my time uh, in our logistics centers, PFS, by the way, is more than just a logistics company. Our services include everything that happens post-click. So charging a credit card, 
um, processing orders, routing orders to the right warehouse, managing inventory, fulfilling orders, planning the transportation of those orders to final mile to the customer. And I spent my entirety of my career working in the direct-to-consumer retail space. And funny enough, you may not believe it, but most of my customers that I worked in are in the health and beauty space. So I've been working in beauty for you know roughly 15 years. I took a little break from PFS in, in 2018. Uh, I lived in Manhattan for about two years, and I worked for L'Oreal USA. So I worked in the beauty supply chain for uh, a couple of years on that side. And then as of the lockdown 2020, I came back. By the way, my favorite story, I came back, I met my wife, I got married, bought a house, I got an excellent job at PFS, and now we're part of GXO, so it's a, been a cool cool gig. But yeah, I live, live and breathe e-commerce. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a tech geek at heart, by the way, so when they said modern CTO, I said, that's going to be super cool. Let, let me get in there and start doing some talking. And yeah, uh, it's, uh, I, I live in a weird intersection of business operations and technology. And I, I'm a, I'm a passionate believer that all those things have to coexist to be successful. So that's, you know, that's the career. That's what I've been doing. That's what I, what my passions are. How long ago did you start back? Uh, so I came back. So 2020, I landed in Dallas because of the lockdown. I finished out my time with L'Oreal through that year, made a couple of phone calls and said, look guys, I'm back in the area. I want to get back in the business. And so, again, 20 years means you know a lot of people, you know everybody. And uh, I had an opportunity to come back to work in this uh, strategist type of role. So my role today, instead of working with existing customers, is I work with new customers who are coming in to help them structure and shape what a solution looks like and how to solve some of their business problems. I also come off with um, some subject matter stuff, thought leadership that we do. So you'll see me pop up on uh, bylines and things that we do as PFS. Uh, just talking about retail and talking about the space, uh, which is probably my favorite part of it and was my favorite part working in client service as well, which was, what are we trying to solve for? What's an innovative way we can do that? And let's let's work outside the four walls of here's what we do and let's find the best way to accomplish our goals. And usually that's a combination of business process, technology enablement, and then you know great infrastructure. What type of consumption trends are you seeing? Because obviously in the past 20 years, the way that we consume things have changed so drastically. And since you're talking to you know, new customers onboarding, what do the new people want? What are the new models that are emerging? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So there used to be, and I think it's still a debate, but in the customer segments that we work in, there are people that you talk to, they're like, I'm the online person. That's what I work on, online digital marketing, digital shopping. That's what I do. And there's a whole other group of people that are worried about retail and brick and mortar. And it was always this like bricks versus clicks type of debate. I find that as I engage with people now, it's less of that. It's, it's more of let's talk omni-channel. So I have an experience in store, but I need to have the same experience from a digital standpoint. My retail partners are doing these three things. Well, they should be online with my, my brand and my key message. And then frankly, the capabilities are also starting to harmonize as well. So like a, a key point and example, in beauty, we do a lot of personalization. So you'd be shocked or maybe you won't, but people like to put their names on everything. So in the world of lipsticks, cosmetics, fragrance bottles, we personalize thousands of them a day where you could put your loved one's name on a bottle of their favorite fragrance and have it shipped to your door. <laughs> you can do it from our warehouse, by the way. You 
place the order online. It lands in my DC. And besides just picking and packing an order, I actually put it into a machine and carve out whatever message has to be there, pack it up in a beautiful, beautiful way and send it out to the customer all within, you know, the appropriate time frame. It's a value add that gets done inside a Macy's as an example. So we've created the same physical experience and the digital experience all on one play. People are really focused about experience. It's about personalization, connecting with a customer. How do you retain that relationship? And then also be able to deliver that expectation online. So you talk about 20 years of the space. It used to be okay to ship something and it gets to you within a week. Like that was Mm -hmm. okay to do. Today, that's a terrible service, by the way. People expect their stuff in three days. They expect it in two days. I'm the worst of people. I want it tomorrow or today, like at all times. So we see a lot of discussion about how do I have this memorable unboxing experience when I get my product, but also I want it fast. Also, I don't want to pay for shipping. So it's uh, it's a lot of how do we solve those complex problems at scale? And our value proposition as a company is to say, we do all this high touch work at scale. It's amazing how fantastic our society is that these are some of the problems that we're solving. <laughs> yeah, it's a good sign. It means things are things are good. We're we're an advanced civilization to some degree. It's uh, first first world first world problems maybe is what yeah. people call it. How do I get my bottle how do I get my name on the fragrance? <laughs> but yeah, now yeah. that you're saying that I'm thinking my that might be nice. I don't think my wife wears like a lot of that type of stuff, but I'm I'm telling you, man, it's uh it, it all comes down to especially when you break it down, it's What's the workflow? Do I have enough people? Does the tech bulletproof so I'm not going to mess it up and put someone else's name on it? Like that kind of stuff is what you have to think about. (laughs) That could be a mess on Valentine's Day. Yeah, (laughs) it certainly could. But putting all the controls around all of that is, is what's important. And then the next layer of it, which is like where technology comes into play at every step of the, the process is customers want their product almost immediately. They want it fast. They want it in a seamless fashion. It used to be the the style to say, I'm going to put all my product inventory in one part of the country. I can get to most of the country in a reasonable time frame. That's what I'm going to manage. So I have an online inventory. It's in one part of the country. Stock planning is really easy. I can get it there. It's really straightforward. And boom, there you go. Well, when you get into a universe where I need it to deliver within two days or less, Take an example out of Amazon, right? They have fulfillment centers all over the country uh, in this geography that are delivering same day, next day, two days, three days. They're replicating inventory in a, in a very intelligent manner, routing inventory in a very intelligent manner. So now all of a sudden the, the equation for a supply chain leader is, well, which regions do I need to be in? How do I stock those warehouses with the appropriate inventory to be at the right place at the right time? And then how do I keep it stocked? And also, how do I make a decision when I get the order, which warehouse should it go to? And if it can't go here, can it go to the other one? And if it can't go to either, what do I do with the order? And now there's a lot of intelligence that has to go into the stock planning process, the logistics of moving inventory from a manufacturing point to a regional center into a final mile network. Like all of that has to be lined up to have an excellent experience, which is the, the, the crux of it. So consumer, like the acquisition cost of customer is actually pretty high because it's the marketing that goes in it. All of the technology and infrastructure that it takes to get someone, convert them into a sale, 
all the stuff that happens behind the scene. And so if you have a bad experience and the customer doesn't come back, well, that's a lost cost. And if you have to reacquire that customer, that's an incremental cost. So like a benchmark for any digital marketer is going to be what's my total lifetime value of the customer? What was my acquisition cost of the customer? Because those metrics make or break what your P&L is going to look like aside from buying and selling the product. And do you, like my parents own a medical clinic and they have a small warehouse and I was looking at their business model and their vitamin side of their business is super profitable and it like wants to take off, but they won't, they don't want it to take off because <laughs> they're, they're physicians, you know, and so the, the other half of the business of seeing the patients, that's the, that's the stuff that they're focused on. The vitamins are just because they have to have them available for right. people to buy them like on site when they're there. I, I keep asking my dad, I was like, dude, I'm looking at the numbers. Like, why are you not in the vitamin business? You can make 10 times more money and you don't even need the physician like side of the business. It's He's huge. like, I just don't want to run a warehouse. Like, I don't want to manage a warehouse. He goes, I actively discourage the growth of the vitamin business. And, and so I was like, you know, maybe, maybe you should find like a partner or something that would, that would help with that. Is that something you guys would do or is this completely separate? No, it's funny because the majority of customers we work with, we focus on brands because our the value proposition that we bring is let's bring a branded experience to fulfillment. But the reality of it is, is you're moving product from point A to point B, where we excel really, really well, by the way, is in small format products. So talk about vitamins, that is not going to be overly different from a like physical goods standpoint than lipsticks or potentially jewelry. Um, we do well in apparel and shoes. So you see a lot of that. Um, but certainly we, we spread across a wide variety of markets and, and verticals of product where, where we can do the effort. And your, your dad's not wrong, by the way, running a warehouse is not easy. It's actually really hard, it's laborious, it's time consuming. And if you get it wrong, then all of a sudden you've invested a lot of capital infrastructure and effort on something that is, is not going to yield the lifetime value of a customer or the reoccurring uh, revenue of a customer. That's why 3PLs exist in the space because they come back and say, look, I'll make that part easy for you. And finding the right one is actually a real challenge as well because it's, you know, it seems to me today you see a lot of tech companies that have a physical aspect that they've built. So they've built a software that says, I can plug you into my warehouse really easy and I can do all these cool things. And then I'll go source the work and bring in labor to go do it. But it's rare where you'll find the operational expertise, the scalability of it, as well as the technology altogether to go really deliver on a full service solution. And you're technically in the 3PL space, correct? Yeah, that's right. That's nice. right. We um, P- PFS uh, is, uh, is considered a 3PL, though, like I said, more than the logistics service. Like we handle customer contacts on phone, email, and chat as well for a number of our customers. We we operate in this full service type of model. GXO is the world's largest pure play logistics company. They have uh, facilities all over the globe, hundreds of uh, thousands of employees doing a variety of contract logistics things, receiving product, reverse logistics, value add services, shipping pallets, shipping containers. And where we spend our time is really in the direct space. So we're picking units, we're personalizing products, we're gift wrapping uh, gifts for people or doing notes for people and and sending them out the door. So it's, uh, it is, it is a complicated delivery to make it happen. 
whenever I used to interview people for, for jobs at PFS, one of the first things I'd ask them is, do you shop online? Most people would say, yes, they do. And then I would ask them, do you know what it takes from the moment you hit click to the moment it shows up at your door? Like what, what happens? It's always interesting to hear people's responses because they go, well, yeah, you get an order and then my credit card gets charged and then UPS guy delivers the product. When the value chain is actually vast on development of the product, the production, the quality testing of it, the transportation from point A to distribution points into a warehouse, into the right location of a warehouse to actually pick it, getting packed, getting QA'd again, and then eventually going into a trucking network, a final mile network that again hits multiple touch points. So there's a lot of people putting their hands on this experience in order for you to get whatever it is that you ordered today uh, at your door. Uh, so it's a, it's a complicated procedure, but we aim to make it seamless for our customers so that they can make it seamless and excellent for their customers. And that's that's the the ultimate objective. And you're a consumer, you shop online. What's the most frustrating thing for you when ordering from from companies online? Yeah, I'm the <laughs> I'm the worst customer to deal with because I'll pick up the phone and say, guys, this is how this was supposed to work and it didn't. And let me tell you why it didn't help me out. It's uh it's about expectations. It's it's expectation management at, at the end of the day. So if I order something and I'm told you have it in stock and I'm gonna get it in three days. If it takes any longer than that or my order gets canceled, it, I'm furious. Like, why did that happen? The other thing is, is around poor communication. So customers like to be really slick about, let me give you the tracking information and you can go look and see when it's going to arrive at your door. And I'm the worst because I'll just hit refresh. Let's see, where is it now? Oh, it's showing up early. Okay, good. I'll be at home and I'll be able to capture it early. And then it ends up not showing up early and it shows up on time. Well, me being as reasonable or unreasonable as I am, now I'm disappointed because now I thought I was going to get it early and now I'm not going to get it and now I have to wait. Well, they met their service promise. They said it was going to arrive within this number of days and it showed up. But yeah, I, I think what, what, I, what I struggle with as a customer is when the communication is off or my expectations aren't met. I'll give you an example. I bought this house in 20. I furnished it completely. And I, by the way, I came from a one-bedroom apartment in New York City, so all my stuff fit in my kids' room, by the way. So it's a, it's a nice four-bedroom house and all I could live in one corner of it. So I ordered a nice table from this company and it arrived at my door. I was really excited. Cool. I opened it up and there's a crack on the table. Like it, it got damaged in shipping. I was like, man, that's, that's terrible. That happens, right? That can happen. I understand that. So I reach out to customer service. I say, hey guys, I got my table, but it's got a crack in it. So I need to... I need to get a replacement. And he said, yeah, no problem. We can certainly do that for you. Um, and they placed a replacement order. And I said, cool. When are you going to come pick up the other one? And they said, oh, no, you're going to have to uh, return that. I said, okay, but how am I going to return it? Like, I don't have a box for it. I don't have a truck. Like, I'm by myself at this house. I have no way to actually do that. Can you guys come pick it up? And unfortunately, the the person on the phone was not empowered to make that decision. She couldn't help me. For as much as she wanted to help me, she couldn't actually help me. So she said, sorry, we can't do that. And I said, okay, well, please escalate this to your manager because I'd like to discuss it further. And then I got off and I said, okay, well, how do you solve this? This is a learning moment for this particular company. So I hopped on LinkedIn and in the head of supply chain for the company. And I got 
bounced around to a couple of people, but the head of consumer affairs reached out to me directly and said, Mr. Iqbal, so sorry. What can we do to make this right for you? And I said, look, your agent on the phone did everything that they could. She did a really good job. She handled me. She kept me calm, even keeled. But at the end of the day, she wasn't empowered to make the choice that could service the customer. What I need to happen is for you guys to come pick up the table and bring me one that works. Like, bring me a table that's not damaged. And so they ultimately came back with the table. They packed up the other one, took it with them. I have a nice table. It's in my living room. I'm happy. But it, it was a lesson that I learned as a kid on empower your customer service people to really be able to service the customer. Because if they can't do that, then they're not actually serving the purpose they're meant for, which is to represent you as a brand. So now that I've had a better experience with that, I can be an advocate about it. Had I had a really terrible experience, I would not be an advocate for the brand. And word of mouth is super critical in any sort of business, right? And so that's, um, you know, that's how that played out. So they, they converted me from being really agitated to they solved my problem. Did you, did you find out if they solved it permanently at the company? You know, I don't know. I, at, at the end of the day, it was a, a drop, drop shipping situation. So they yeah. sell a product on their site. They order it. comes from somewhere else. It delivers. Not their brand, not their experience. But to me as a consumer, and this is what I tell my clients every day, consumers don't care where they get your product. It's your brand that they're talking about. So if I buy it from you and I get it from Macy's or I buy it and I get it from Amazon, I don't care because it's still the brand that I purchased. If I buy Nikes and have a bad experience, I had a bad Nike experience. That's the first thing I'm going to think about, even if it came from some other channel. So having harmony in the experience and having an excellent experience across the board is really important. And that's why managing these supply chains and, and the way that they're done is mission critical for any brand uh, to, to get it right. I've had a couple good experiences with, uh, like like I, I bought a gym, like one of the cable system. So it's like a big, big thing. And the the guy pulled up with his truck and he's like, Hey, he's like, my advice to you is just to reject this shipment. He goes, because by the time it got to me, it like the box was split open and there's probably missing pieces. And he goes like, if it's missing some pieces and you can't put it together, like one packet of screws, it's like, you're going to be really frustrated that you offloaded this and everything. So I signed the rejection thing. I called the company and within like three days, they had another one out to me. And I was like, wow, that was a surprisingly good experience. I don't interact with that type of stuff much, but I can specifically remember me just like being low spirited after like it, because it was a couple thousand dollars, right? So yeah. I was thinking this is going to be like a battle. This is going to be like a war. This is going to go on forever because historically that tends to be the experience. But the company I was working with, whatever that fitness company was, they they had they were on top of it. That's great. Yeah, yeah I mean, but my wife got me some custom shoes er, earlier this year. I don't custom know. shoes. Hold on a second. Stop. Yeah, what are custom I know. shoes. I know. She got she got me Nikes that she got to customize, so they looked you know style, color, whatever. And I thought, okay, that's cool. They showed up great. I put them on. They were a little tight. And they went, oh, well, they're my size, but apparently my size of Nike doesn't, you know, Translate. doesn't work. Yeah. First pair of Nikes I ever owned. So, okay, lesson learned. Well, you would think that you couldn't have an easy experience to go return those and get something else, but they had a seamless experience. Like within moments, she had a QR code. We scanned it, got a label, put it on the box, sent it out. She got a refund and then... 
within the next week, I had a new pair of shoes show up in my door and I like, no one had to think about it. We didn't have to work hard to figure it out. They, they provided the service. And what, what that means, because being in industry, one, it's the right customer service strategy. Two, the logistics infrastructure behind that worked and it worked really well. They were able to generate a return label on the fly. was able to send it and get a refund almost immediately from my wife for anything that she had spent on. We placed another order uh, for a replacement. It went through the same process. It arrived at my door within the reasonable time frame. I think it was three to five days. Maybe it was a little longer because it had to come. The tracking was super transparent. Like we knew where it was coming from. We knew it, what day it was going to deliver. We were at the house. We signed for it. I put them on. They fit great. And I got a pair of Nikes that look awesome. So that, that's nice. an excellent experience. You know what I like recently that started to pop up maybe Not. in the past year or so? This little icon thing. It says like Link or Stripe or something. It can remember my credit card across providers. Yeah. Uh, that has been awesome. It's made because the, the number one frustration for me when purchasing from what I would call a boutique provider, meaning like not Amazon, <laughs> uh, not something that already knows me, is having to go through the process of like entering in all my information yeah. again and, all, and creating accounts and all of that. And then I saw this thing pop up and it like knew me and I was like, this is brilliant and amazing. Now, I know you guys charge some of the credit cards for some of the people. Are you using that technology? Yeah. So, um, it all exists in shopping cart, right? So it it's a way to deliver frictionless checkout. Um, an example of where you would see this and not where we're playing as any impact on it, but like shop pay on Shopify. So there you go. Yeah. Most, most websites you're hitting today, they're likely a Shopify site. You put in your phone number, shop pay knows you all of a sudden they've retained the credit card. Go. That's how it works. Um, but to your point, Stripe can do that. Uh, there's a variety of the options. Apple Pay really takes care of it, right? So I'm I'm an avid Mac user. If you're not, I'm sorry mm -hmm. for it, I but am. that's okay. Yeah, that's what I but, say to um, people too. <laughs> but exactly. So my my car key, my house key, my credit cards are all on my watch. They're on my iPhone. So when I shop, I just you know put my finger and there you go. I don't ever have to pull it out of my pocket. That seamless, frictionless experience is very important. The other angle of that, though, is the importance of security right? Like I want to know that my credit card is not going to end up somewhere. And I know that with this, you know, you follow enough keynotes and know about tokenization and mm -hmm. encryption, how we keep your data safe. Like all of those things are the indicators that say, let's, let's make that happen. And in our world, as we, when I say we swipe the credit cards, we do the processing behind the scenes. So if you think about the little machine that sits at a retail store where you go swipe and it goes out to the bank and all that, we facilitate that type of activity for digital transactions. But at the same token, the technology that you put in on a website to say, remember me, right? That's another piece of infrastructure. Like we're not in that part. We're still on the back end of it. But yeah, we see that as a prominent feature uh, across the board with, with customers. It's like, make it a seamless experience. If you add friction to the checkout process, people are going to drop off. Digital marketers, they all know it. It's a funnel. How many people came in? A whole lot. How many people clicked on my product? A little less. How many people added it to bag? A little less. How many people said click order? Like not a whole lot, but that's the conversion rate. That's the success. If you put up any sort of roadblock in that process, I'm out of inventory or it takes 10 days to deliver or please verify you're a human and then type in these things and let me challenge you to make sure you're real. Like that type of friction dissuades people from making the purchase. They're like, this is too hard. I don't want to do it. Yeah, sometimes I ask myself, I'm like, am I real? And I just like leave the page. <laughs> Listen, I 
I I got on this uh, I got on this uh, site with you guys, and before I, before I clicked join, I was on Amazon because I saw your your book, and I was like, oh, well, I should read that. So I ordered it on Amazon. It'll be here tomorrow. It's like, oh, thank you. List checkout, immediate delivery. Yeah, I'll let you know if it shows up on time and in good condition. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, that's right because that's our brand being distributed through Amazon. That's absolutely right. It's a, it's, it's part of the, the, the story we tell our customers at least is when you're managing a direct to consumer business, you have like full control of the experience. You can say how fast it goes. You can say what the box looks like. You can decide what the packaging looks like. You can do all of those things and you retain all of the data of the customer, right? So you can continue to nurture that relationship with your customer. Well, when you sell in marketplaces, you actually lose that control because now it's, Amazon's customer. It's the Amazon experience, which is great. And it's an amazing experience, by the way. But if you're focused on like branding and presentation, well, it may not necessarily look like how you would have designed it. It's going to show up in an Amazon box versus a beautiful Chanel box, as an example. That depending on the product category, that's a really, really important point. It's a book. It's going to show up in a bag and it's going to be safe and it's going to show up free. And it's going to show up fast. Those are the things that I need to win. Perfect. But if the if the experience needs to be, I'm charging for a very high-end luxury product that has to have a luxury experience for a luxury customer, well, that's a completely different value proposition that, that needs to be met. Yeah, we experience that a lot. So we have our show, but we make like 15, 20 other shows for typically Fortune 500 type companies. And, and we, we did that because we had like people sponsor the show and then they asked us to make them their own show. And I said, yeah, you can have your nephew do it for a hundred bucks an episode. I'm sure they could use their MacBook and like stitch together you a, a thing. But if you have like, you know, your billion dollar CXO talking to another billion dollar CXO, you need that to go right the first time every time. And that's why you would use, you know, this different type of setup that we have. So yeah. we get it. Hundred percent. I like it. I like that you guys are like the nicer version because that's what we do. So we get along in that regard. Because why else, Kamran? Why else would you wake up and like not try to build the best product or service possible? Like I never understood second and third tier providers. I'm always right. like, if if the option is to make like a Bentley, like why would you not make the Bentley? <laughs> it, I mean, it comes down to you. You can't have it all, right? It's it's always yeah. like, there's a vector of I can do this, I can do this, but I can't do that. And we we aim to have the top tier of that experience. Why? Because one, we like to be excellent. We like to be winners. You want to be remembered as that because almost anyone can do the second and third tier, right? If I wanted to build an operation that receives widgets and I ship them out and they show up in a brown box and it takes three or four days to do it, it's going to cost me the least amount of money to do that. I'm going to charge you not that much money to do it and we're all happy. Great. But to the extent that I'm working on a much higher caliber experience, I'm adding value. Yes, it's going to cost a little bit more, but the reward is also more. The experience that your customer has is going to be memorable. It's going to cause them to come back and tell the story about, well, it was Valentine's Day and you know I needed to get this present for my significant other and I ordered it on this site and you know they upgraded the shipping and it showed up on Saturday and it was in this beautiful box and it had the handwritten note and I gave it to them and, you know, they loved it and we had a memory. And that yeah. that's the vision that we're selling every every day of the week is that experience. 
Now, behind the scenes, it's what is the operational know-how to make that happen? And it's a huge effort. I mean, it is a huge effort. Uh, as a company, every year during peak weeks, so it's a word that you know now, we deploy all of our corporate staff into these warehouses for a number of reasons, not because we need the hands. Like, We're not going to add that much value putting the chief marketing officer on a packing line, packing boxes. But it is a motivation of one, being on the ground, touching the work and feeling what you're selling, but also giving that experience to the people who run your business day in and day out. Like if you don't know the business that you're in and you're not on the ground making it work, like you don't have a, a reasonable appreciation for that. So we send all of our uh, new account managers, all of our leadership from the top down, they're on the floor working for this, for these two weeks. I got excused because I have a newborn this year. So yeah. I said, I can't go to the warehouse. <laughs> but for the past like decade and a half, we've been in warehouses, you know, every season. And it, it, it's rewarding in that you actually kind of get to feel like Santa Claus. Like I made that gift go out the door. I delivered it. I took that phone call for a customer and they, they had a problem and I fixed it. Like there's, there's a rewarding aspect to that. You know, it's, it's the, the dedication of the people like doing their job and this is, it's their job and it's their lives, right? And you're getting to directly impact other people's enjoyment, right? Which is the important part. So I, I always I always tell people, I say, look, the supply chain and this technologies that we use here, this is actually like the final thing that touches a product before it gets to a customer. We're the last touch. We're the last person they talk to, the last person who put hands on this thing before a customer gets it, opens it up, and then your entire marketing spend and product development spend all lands on this one moment that I got it when I was supposed to get it. I opened it and it was like, wow. And then I got the product and it went amazing. And if all those things check off, like we all did our job and it, and it was great. And chances are that customer is going to buy from us again. They're going to evangelize us, right? Those are all the important things that, that we expect. And then, you know, if it doesn't go well and it doesn't go right, we've got to learn from those mistakes as well. So it's like a, you know, recursive circuit. You come back and say, well, we had a problem here. This is where the miss is. Let's go rework these procedures or find ways to make them better because we got to go faster. You got to have more scale. It has to be even more complicated uh, to deliver the experience. Experience, experience, experience. That's, I think that's the the bread and butter of, of all of it. Especially with the type of gifts you guys are doing and products. I mean, you're going to end up in a lot of unboxing videos. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. So in my, in my last role, um, it was a, st a strategic role. So I was, I was in there to say, look, here's what we need to do from a direct consumer supply chain. And part of the pitch, part of the story was completely about unboxing. So to, to reach out to top level supply chain executives to say, look, normally when you're shipping pallets and cases to big box retailers, you just want to make sure that you're maximizing the queue. You're not wasteful on the product. And you want it to go fast, you want to have the lowest cost per unit. Like those are all the things that are important to you. Those are all very important things. But in this experience, it's the most high touch that you have to be. So if you want to go search the hashtag on Instagram, unboxing, you're going to get millions, millions of posts. The moment your box shows up on Instagram or on TikTok as a poor experience and some, you know, influencer or even some kid who's on there and says, look what I got. This is terrible. Now a million people have seen it. Like that's the worst thing that could happen. Mm -hmm. The flip side is when you show this and it's an amazing experience and other people see it and go, oh my gosh, I have to have that. I can't tell you how many times the algorithm gets me. I'm just 
scrolling. My wife's sitting next to me scrolling and I go, oh, that's cool. And then I hit two buttons and then two days later, it's at my door. Like the marketer got me, it worked. Instagram ads happen, supply chain behind the scenes happen. But the moment like that was a bad experience, like you're going to come back and say, this sounded cool, but it wasn't cool. So don't spend your time on it. Don't spend your money on it. I have that experience sometimes. Where I'm like, these ads aren't going to get me. I'm not buying this useless junk. And they're like, oh, what's that? Look at that. Let's see. I need that. She needs that. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll get that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it happens. And after it happens, you go, ah, oh, they got me again. But yeah, doing my part for the economy, like it's okay. But when it's good product though, you know, that's, and when they can figure out what to show me when I'm in the mood to buy something, then everything, everything lines. I see good product all the time that I don't want to buy because I just don't want to make a purchase for, I don't like, I don't buy a lot. That's not true. I buy a lot of things. I have moods where I don't want to buy stuff. Yeah. And I'm, it's just like, I just don't feel like buying something right now. And, uh, but I'll see something I, I like in it. And they've been slowly, the social media platforms have been making it easy to save those things. Remember before there was like a save or a bookmark a post type yep. deal? Yep. Yeah. Now you can bookmark it and there's categories and all types of stuff. I'm telling you, it's uh, it, it's all about making it frictionless and easy for customers to to do what they want, which is I want this, I want it now, and then click and go and it happens. Like the the brands that do that really well are the ones that are succeeding. By the way, the, the brands that are also investing in the infrastructure behind the scenes and have the supply chain and the inventory to deliver all this stuff on time, those are the guys that are winning. Like, you know, I told you, I came back to Dallas in 2020, the beginning of the pandemic and the lockdowns. People who had businesses that were strictly in brick and mortar in retail stores suffered massively for months because you couldn't walk into a Macy's. Like you, no one could go anywhere. So now all of a sudden shopping stopped. That means the purchase orders for more inventory stopped completely. Uh, brands like Amazon deprioritized certain types of products and reprioritized things that were more important like hand sanitizer and cleaning and health and safety products. So now the, it, your entire value chain has been thrown into a, in, into a fit because the activity is not happening. Now, what do I do with my workforce? Like all these problems happen. But if you watch what happened to us and us being squarely in the direct consumer space, all of our channels blew through the roof because people were shopping online. They're like, at least I can order it online and it'll get to me. Well, the brands that we work with, um, one, had the benefit of our infrastructure and scalability. We, we did that. But even as a company, we had to pivot. You know, we used to have primarily distribution centers in the Memphis, Tennessee area in, in the United States. Oh, that's near me. Yeah. Yeah. So in... There's as many people who live east of the Mississippi as who live west of the Mississippi. Like it's a great place to ship product from. There's a few places in the United States that are like that, but Memphis is is a good space for it. Well, in 2020, within the first quarter, we set up a second warehouse in Dallas Fort Worth. Why Dallas Fort Worth? Well, we were all here in Dallas, and it was the easiest place that we could stand up more infrastructure and scalability without too much disruption. The customers that we put in there to have a second pile of inventory, they didn't leave. Like it became a second, second fulfillment point. Fast forward uh, into the the year after, we opened one up in the West Coast in Las Vegas, Nevada. And so now the the strategy that you start to see is not just a single point of inventory. But we started having multiple piles of inventory in three parts of the country, and we're shipping now from multiple points. We have resiliency in the warehouses. So if I have a 
there was a COVID incident and I had to shut the warehouse down and sanitize it. And the people couldn't come back in because they were, you know, potentially exposed. I have other facilities that could continue to operate. We did this so much so that with some of the brands that we worked with, they activated their retail stores. So activating inventory across a national network, their brand stores that they had employees that couldn't go to work anymore. Well, they could come in and work to fulfill orders, right? It's a different type of work. And now all of a sudden you have a national network of, of fulfillment that's happening. And the only reason it works is one, because you have inventory in the right place, but you have the IT tech systems to decide, one, can I show all the inventory? Can I route the order to the right place with the right service level? Like that's where we spent our time in 20 and 21. It enabled a lot of our customers to continue to operate and capitalize on the increased demand that happened between 19 and 20 and then 21 and 22. Like it's, it's not unusual for us to get an email from our COO who says, we broke another record today. Like that's what the story was in 20 and 21. It was, it was just an intense growth trajectory that retail analysts predicted that that's what was going to happen. It's going to grow and it's going to continue to grow. It was a quantum leap in how fast it grew and what percentage of business went to the stores versus the online channel. At level set as stores started to open back up, of course, but the expectations were set, the experience has been set. So we have a number of customers in our network where they live in multiple sites. They intelligently put inventory in places to forecast and support business growth. If you follow any of the big supply chain analysts, they'll tell you, you went from a, a national forecast or a sales channel forecast to forecasting by location, which is when you have thousands of SKUs, this actually gets really hard, by the way. It's not easy to do this. You could be easy and say, let me just uh, duplicate everything, but that's expensive. There's a carrying cost of inventory. But to the extent you can predict the demand of customers on what they're buying and then getting the right stuff in the right place, like those guys are the winners. They're not the ones that are sitting with, I have too much inventory now. This is a problem. We're actively looking to put inventory in the correct place and let, cons let the consumers consume that in an efficient manner. So you're not driving up significant carrying costs. You're not driving up significant logistical costs to get product to places where it doesn't move. Yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating this world and the technology and the advancements that are happening. Uh, I want to, I want to have you back on in the, in the future and learn more about like the robots <laughs> and all the, the automation and tech. Wait, you're in Dallas and I'll actually be out in that area in April. Maybe I'll come by a warehouse. You could show me the robots. Yeah. You know what? Come, come by. I would love to show you one of our facilities. Our, uh, our, our friends at GXO, by the way, have a, a huge investment in automation and robotics. Like if you follow them, they, they posted something on LinkedIn the other day. They had this uh, this you know, humanoid-looking robot, and he's what he does. I say he's a robot, but I said he. That's okay. Grabs a box, turns around, walks it over, puts it on another thing. And it's probably like the heaviest part of the step that a person would have to do and that you would get tired of doing and they would slow down. But you have this machine that's not, as a replace the people, it's actually augmented the activity that's happening in the warehouse. So let me put the hard work on things that can do it efficiently and, you know, run all day and all night. And then the people are doing the more high touch stuff. So that there's an interest, we could probably talk for days, Joel, about like, what is the impact of AI? What is the impact of robotics and automation? And there's a lot to unpack there. Um, but it's so cool to see, like we, we ran a pilot in one of our DCs uh, last year. So 
you have millions and millions of pieces inside of a warehouse. Well, one of the most important things is to make sure all the inventory is in the right place. So inventory control is critical. If the product's in the wrong spot, then everything else breaks down. Well, sending people up and down aisles to count product all day and all night is really not that efficient, right? Like that's, you'll spend days and hours and hundreds of hours. Do some cameras or some robots or something. Man, I'll tell you what, we, um, we put cameras on drones and flew them up and down the aisles of a warehouse. And it, it wasn't, oh, it was like OCR taking pictures of all the barcodes and it was saying, here's what you have, here's what you don't have. And just that one step, like cut out hours of people running around. Whose right? idea was that? I would love to say it was mine, but it wasn't mine. <laughs> that is awesome. But yeah, it, it's it's that type of like innovation and thought that happens like behind the scenes at these companies. And then when one, when the idea sticks, it's like, great. Now let's show the value, the use case, the investment and go. Are you still flying drones or did you find something else that was better? You know, I'll, I'll tell you this, and, and, and maybe I shouldn't say this out loud, but it, we found that it was easier to put the cameras on a forklift and just drive the forklift up and down the aisle versus fly the drone. Oh, that's nuts. Did you just drive the forklift or no? No, I'm not licensed to drive a forklift. They shouldn't nah. <laughs> Dude, we did it. We made a podcast. How do you feel? That was pretty cool, man. Uh, that was that was really cool. I've never uh, never done that. I thought we talked about a lot of, a lot of good stuff. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.